AFFI podcast listeners, uh, we're back for another episode. Sorry for the long break. We're coming to you live from the Fire and Iron Media Studios, home of Chicago's Bravest Stories. And today we're doing without Jerry Marzullo. I believe a lot of you will be happy with that. I'm joining the studio here with uh, President Sullivan. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Timmy. Chuck. Timmy. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we're here mid-December. And uh, we figured we'd do a quick episode for all our listeners and close out the year. Uh, there's been a lot going on, and hence our ability to get in the studio and do a podcast lately. Uh, we've had a busy fall, and uh, trying to get into the studio to do this has been uh, a little bit of work. So we're happy to be back and, and get an episode out and inform our members on a lot of different issues uh, about stuff going on over the past several months and, and what's happened in 2022 overall. And then we're going to get a little bit into 2023 and, and uh, what the AFFI is going to try to roll out for our membership in the coming year. So, Chuck, what do you got to say? Where do you think Jerry is right now? Supposedly he's at the dentist. I think that's a, that's a good attorney excuse. Is he getting all his teeth pulled out? Do yeah. You? I think he said he's going full dentures. Holy smokes. That's cool. So hopefully Jerry will be back next time. Um, he, he's sad he can't be here. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's disappointed us. And what do you think his dentist is in the city or in Berwyn? I'd go Berwyn all day long. Do you think it's a, a licensed dentist? No, no, God, no. <laughs> do you yeah. think what would Loretto do if he had Jerry, um, semi conscious with his mouth open? I think Loretto is probably the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> We you miss know, Jerry. Actually, he should be our first topic, I think. Jerry or Loretto? Jerry in general. Jerry. Uh, Jerry. The battalion chiefs organizing and stuff. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's been a hot topic over the past year for us. Uh, we passed uh, 220. Yes. To assist our locals in organizing battalion chiefs, and Berwyn yeah. is one of ours. Correct. Yeah. So um, just as a refresher, House Bill 220, the legislative committee, along with uh, Larry Walsh, and Tom Cullerton in the Senate were able to um, uh, advocate and push through a bill that allowed a, a, a little easier avenue for shift commanders uh, in our in our fire departments to uh, to organize. And the governor signed that. Uh, it's probably been over a year now. And in December of 2021, all of the uh, our five district vice presidents, along with myself and Luke and Margaret and Jerry and Amanda sat down at uh, Asher's office and tried to um, kind of come up with a strategy on how we wanted to uh, pursue this. So without giving away uh, any trade secrets, um, we have been able to, I know Matt in District 4, I can't name them. I know Oswego. Um, Bloomingdale. Bloomingdale. Homer Township. New Lenox. New Lenox. Yeah, so we said a few. Um, Art just got Huntley. Huntley. Correct. Um, Woodstock got it through negotiations, negotiations. Yeah. and um, Lombard is queued up, I believe, probably in February for. Uh, yeah, and then we've had uh, Pekin, Pekin. Uh, Galesburg's working through it right now. Right, uh, Berwyn, 
uh, was it Broadview? Their captains Broadview, came in. That's right. That's right. So seen a lot of success. Um, really, if you if you like step back and look at it, like what what is the AFI doing? And that is typically how a, a the perfect scenario is. I, I don't know if it was a resolution. We'll just say it was. Um, it was a resolution from a convention that was handed off to our AFI legislative committee. They advocated over the course of you know two or three years. We're able to pass a bill and have the governor sign it, and then we handed it off to the district vice presidents, who then, you know, put it out to our locals and uh, ran it through the uh, the different you know processes to to get our members uh, some more new members that uh, obviously need recognized and are uh, now have the ability to to negotiate. So that's win win for for a, a number of people. Huge huge success in in our minds. Yeah. So and I think it's great that. Jerry and Berwin, there's a now in the collective bargaining group uh, in a part of their agreement, and they just settled that recently. So congratulations to them. And yeah, they got a great contract. Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, as a uh, battalion chief, I'll just say to all the battalion chiefs out there, you want to be in the union. Right. Just saying. For those that don't know, Timmy is a DeKalb battalion chief, and they were already in prior to our. They were already in. Yeah, we had several locals that were already in that. You know, kind of already there. Chicago, Joliet, Springfield, Rockford, Peoria. Peoria. So m- multiple locations, Bensonville, um, multiple locations already had battalion chiefs in. But n- now, obviously, the door is open for a lot more to try and go down that path. And if they're interested, they should work through their local and then their local contact their district vice president. And we can try to assist them if they're interested in, in that endeavor. You got it. So I guess that's a legislative piece. You want to you want to review some of the stuff that happened over the past yeah, several months. Yeah, so in the um, the general assembly is is two years. So we're wrapping up. We just wrapped up veto session, uh, which consisted of about six days over the course of two weeks. And typically, what the veto session is is bills that have been vetoed by the governor. Um, both chambers can take them back up and try to override them. There were no bills that the governor vetoed, um, so there really wasn't uh, there were, there wasn't a process for actual veto session. There were some other bills that got cleaned up, namely the Safety Act, which um, you know was another three hundred page trailer bill, um, and I think all of the stakeholders were were neutral on that one. So they they cleaned that up, and it seems like everybody uh, appears to be satisfied for now with that. Um, but from an AFFI standpoint, we really didn't have anything. We were just making sure that nothing, you know, snuck through that was going to be detrimental to, to our members and, and nothing happened. There is going to be a handful of what they call lame duck sessions prior to the next General Assembly taking office, which will be January 12th, I believe. So I think January 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. The 102nd General Assembly is going to go back to Springfield, and your legislative team will obviously be down there. Um, perhaps there might be a few you know, bills introduced then to, to uh, try to get finished up, but uh, we're not pursuing anything in those four days. We met uh, on December 8th as a legislative committee down in Springfield to try to um, prepare our agenda for the next two years, and uh, we ha- we'll have, you know, at least 15 different bills introduced. And I think one of the next episodes could be 
uh, the Legislative Committee in January, kind of going over what bills have been introduced, what, you know, what the bill numbers are, so our members can uh, can track those through the process. So, um, in the first year of the 102nd, we passed 12 bills, and then in the 103rd, the Foreign Fire Insurance Bill, which will go into effect in January, was a, a, a big piece for us. It um, requires all of the local governments to have a foreign fire insurance board and they cannot um, levy anything less than 2%. It has to be 2%. Um, there was a couple of local governments, one in particular, that levied zero. So that was the uh, genesis behind the bill originally. And um, so if you have any questions or concerns about your foreign fire insurance, uh, reach out to your district vice president. Um, you know, we're, we were proud. That, that thing, that was introduced probably eight or ten times. Uh, and finally, finally got it passed. So um, I know, I'm not going to say their name. I know one local union is uh, very, very pleased with uh, with the outcome of that bill. So really, if you're satisfied with your foreign fire insurance board right now and you don't have any issues, there's really nothing for you to do um, other than, um, you know, maybe create a new constitution and bylaws. Um, all ordinances are, are null and void. And um, there's a there's a process in place now for when a board or typically the fire chief doesn't agree with something that the foreign fire insurance board approves. There is a process for what we call expedited arbitration that will need to be placed in your uh, bylaws. So again, reach out to your district vice president, and uh, we'll get you headed in the right direction. So say again that hundred second general assembly. How many bills did we get through? Um, off the top of my head, it was 12 or more, which was pretty outstanding. That, Most that, of them in the first year. That'd and be it, historic, probably sure. by our standards for the FFI, right? Absolutely right. And one of those 12 was that that battalion chiefs or shift commander bill that we were talking about previously. Yeah, and I think our members got to understand the, the hard work that goes through that. And we've talked about it on on several episodes. You know, these these ideas come through resolution format or issues our locals are having, and they they make their way up to the FFI and for us to address. And, you know, sometimes a bill might take years and years to pass. And I think uh, it just speaks volumes about our team that we have together down there and getting a lot of work done in the last couple of years. And hopefully you can continue that success. Absolutely. And again, as a reminder, it's government. So it is a slow, long process. Um, I always, you know, reference our promotions bill that uh, Dave Foreman and company were able to finally pass. That took 10 years, 10 years to pass. And I know in today's society, you know, we're, we're all about instant gratification. But again, just realize because you, you know, knocked on 75 doors and you placed yard signs and you phone banked, um, that tomorrow you're not going to, you know, see a bill pass and signed. It just, it's a slow, long process, but, you know, we're involved. We're always at the table. And um, had we not been, or if we aren't um, over time, all of those benefits that are listed on our website could slowly disappear. So just be patience, I guess, is the, is the, uh, is the key word. Well, yeah. even uh, collective bargaining, that took 40-some years to pass. <laughs> right, right. They, our, our guys that preceded us, they were working year after year to try to get that through. And 
and, and our success relates back to this, and I think transition into our new uh, next subject here, it's uh, along the same lines, but we had a very successful November 8th. Our, Absolutely. Our uh, candidate success rate was like 97%. Mm, correct. You know, so, and there's a couple other things you got noted here you want to kind of hit on, but it's a machine and it, and it, and it works for a reason. And our, if our members support it and are part of that, mm-hmm. that translates into successful bills. Right. And a huge shout out to our political education committee, uh, by our constitution bylaws, we can appoint up to 25 members. So it's our largest, um, standing committee. And those guys, all 25 of them started way back in January of 2022, gathering petition signatures to get our candidates on the ballot. Um, and then, uh, you know, and that's difficult in January, February, it's freezing cold, but you know, our members went out, got signatures and, um, were able to get our members on the ballot, our, our, our legislators on the ballot. And then in June, uh, our primary, where you know we had a number of different um, legislators in primaries where our members were knocking on doors constantly and had some success and then took maybe 10 days off and we were right into the general <clears throat> excuse me general election. And you know our PEC met again. We assigned you know, 25 different uh, targeted races. And as you just mentioned previously, we had a 97% success rate. That includes, you know, all of the statewide officers. Um, of the 177 seats, I think we endorsed in at least 150 of them. And overall, we had a 97% success rate. Probably two of the biggest races were um, Supreme Court, where our friend Jerry Marzullo recently I want to say recently. When did he argue the Pacifica case? It was like last spring. Yeah. Not too long ago, but... Yeah. And it, just remember that, um, obviously, the General Assembly is, you know, one one section of our political education and legislative um, arena, but the Supreme Court is vital. Um, you know, if we didn't have a worker-friendly Supreme Court, that those two Pacifica cases um, that have gone before the Supreme Court could have very easily gone the wrong way, the other way. So we're fortunate we won those two seats. And, um, you know, the worker rights amendment was... Yeah, I was just going to ask you, I think that's an important thing to transition in sure. off of the, you know, you mentioned the Supreme Court and how important it is. Mm-hmm. Well, we had success with that passing. Sure. And, and now with anything, people want to challenge that, right? And... Absolutely. And if you want to describe that, what's right. kind of happening right now. Right, right. So the Worker Rights Amendment was a, a huge success. Uh, labor really came out. Um, I don't think it's any secret that uh, labor raised almost $16 million for the campaign. Um, for those of you that watch TV, um, Loretto and Ber- and Berwin and, and Marzullo are really getting a lot of airtime here. But uh, Mike they, Loretto. They pay us cash. <laughs> right. Loretto and uh, two or three other members were, you know, on, on mailers. Uh, Mike Loretto and his children were in a commercial. They, they called it The Closer. And he was, uh, that commercial aired, you know, countless times over the last two weeks leading up to November 8th. Um, so Worker Rights Amendment was successful. Um, you know, we've talked uh, extensively with Margaret and Jerry in that, you know, 
as of, as we sit here today, that that amendment was meant to protect what we currently have, not expand any rights. Um, there's going to be, and there's you know a group of attorneys that are meeting at least weekly. Um, there's going to be lawsuits filed, um, questions asked on you know how to how to what does this really do, and um, as, again as we sit here today, our our comments are what we had you know last month. We still have today. The amendment was not seeking to expand any um, any collective bargaining rights. Just again to protect what we had. So. We're going to, you know, lean on all of labor in general, the Illinois AFL-CIO, Mark Poulos, who was instrumental. Um, he, was, he was with the uh, Operating Engineers 150 and their their attorney. He was instrumental in crafting the legislation along with um, the Senate Democratic legal staff. So give him a shout out, too. He was awesome for yeah. getting on our podcast previously to educator members. He also came to our legislative conference, our convention, and really assisted us and making sure our members really understood the importance of the workers' rights amendment. So give him another shout out. He's a great dude and see him a lot in Springfield. He's, he's very active in the union arena and uh, really appreciate him being a part of our group to, to make sure our members knew what they were voting for and making it successful. Absolutely. And I, I get, we're probably repeating ourselves if you listened uh, you know, to, to the episode specifically about worker rights, but essentially before the the amendment passed a when let's just say that the, when the 103rd general assembly took takes office on January 11th there could be a bill introduced that would uh, reduce or strip collective bargaining with a single bill 60 people in the house and 30 people in the senate could vote to strip that the governor could sign it and we no longer have collective bargaining because the amendment passed they are no longer allowed to introduce a bill to do that. Um, so that was the main like impetus. That's what we wanted. And again, we're not seeking to, to expand anything. It just, uh, it makes it that much more difficult to, to reduce collective bargaining. Great. And um, also the referendums, if you want to talk. Yeah, about that's that. where I was going to go next is, you know, we, we talk a lot about like the state level stuff we do, but our ability to assist our own locals in their political issues and, <laughs> These four here, you're going to talk about in a second. That's a that's a immediate big deal that our members would have felt off the bat. You were talking layoffs and everything like that. So absolutely, um, the, the home rule referendums. Yeah. So if your population drops below twenty five thousand, then it has to go to a referendum, and you are, you lose your home rule status unless the voters decide to keep home rule status. And home rule status allows you to um, tax or create more revenue, whether it's hotel, motel tax, food, beverage tax, et cetera. Um, for in particular, four communities in particular, Kankakee, Collinsville, Carbondale, and Freeport, um, saw their populations reduced with the, uh, with the census in 2020. So it had to go to a ballot on, and the voters had to decide whether or not they wanted to keep that. If they didn't, um, a significant amount of revenue was going to be lost. I think even in Carbondale, they mentioned, you know, they'd already identified six, I'm kind of ballparking, six firefighter layoffs. Collinsville did the same, um, Freeport. So 
to our local affiliates credit in each of those areas, they teamed up um, early on, especially in Collinsville and, and Matt, um, Giles Giles, and uh, kind of led led the the coalition to, to keep it. And a number, especially in the Metro East, um, they really, they really um, coalesced around Collinsville and, and later on Carbondale. And obviously all four of those uh, kept their home rule status, which was huge. I know Kankakee teamed up with both Republicans and Democrats. Um, Freeport did a phenomenal job. They led the charge there. Um, I think I was, I actually walked in all four of them. Um, and just a great turnout. Our firefighters, you know, stepped up and, and realized the consequences and uh, just uh, hats off to, to all four of our locals there. They did a ph- phenomenal job. And uh, I'd like to mention our governmental affairs director, Tim Hunter. He was a big key piece in assisting those locals with messaging and in the ground game and how to go about uh, making those referendums successful. And he, he even went to the extent to buy a new pickup truck in Collinsville. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. Tim did a phenomenal job. He really did. I mean, was cutting turfs, um, was in constant contact with, uh, with our locals. And, um, yeah, can't say enough good things about how, how Tim kind of led – Led the referendum charge for sure. So we're kind of hitting on the like the local issues right here, and one of the things we could kind of hit on because it's it's coming up later this spring. You have your local government elections and your city councils, boards, whatever they may be. It's just as important for our locals to be involved there because that has probably the most direct effect on them. Just like we're talking about this home rule thing, your city councils, how they provide the fundings, the direction for your your fire departments or fire districts, those elections are coming up, and I don't think we can stress enough. Everything's local. It you, really you is. You really got to be a part of that and, and be involved. Yeah, and I know you and, and Noah and DeKalb can speak, um, you know, very intelligently on that, and just the importance of knowing who your council members are, or who your district trustees are, and having those relationships at the local level. Um, really goes a long way in, you know, what your equipment looks like, what your station looks like, what your staffing looks like. Um, you know, we say it all the time, but it, in Champaign when I started, we actually had a schedule. Even if, um, you know, paving Main Street and purchasing planters for downtown was the only two things on the agenda, there was always a firefighter in the audience just just there having a presence. And um, it, again, it goes a, a, a long way for your union. I know it seems like that's all we're doing, um, but it's, it's imperative. I, I know it, it, you know, nobody likes to go and knock on doors all the time. It's every other year, you know, for the general assembly, which is vital to our success. And then locally, um, we can't stress enough, you know, what your contract looks like, um, your relationship with your mayors and your city council members and your city manager. Um, it, it just, it's, it's vital to your success and, and your future success. Yeah. And for those elections, they'll be in April. And um, most places, I believe right now, if there's somebody running for a council seat or mayor or whatever, they're doing their signature packets 
probably right now and got to be in in January. I know City to Calb, that's the way uh, their setup is. Everybody's going to have a little different rules depending on their locale, but you know that stuff's already moving, and and hopefully we're encouraging you to be involved on the local level at that with those races. Absolutely, and even like reach out to your ledger rep um, if you guys need you know questionnaires for your city council members. We've got some templates or other locals that are you know very very involved. Uh, we can provide questionnaires that suggest that you if you if there are races for certain seats, bring them in, interview them, um, find out you know, or identify what your priorities are. Maybe it's a new station or maybe it's tearing down a station and building a new one. Maybe it's purchasing equipment. Maybe you want to increase your staffing. Maybe you want to talk about taking over ALS. Um, Find things that are important to your union, convey that to the candidates and see where they're at. And uh, I, I know that they would love the firefighters endorsement. Speaking of some other elections, and and we did have a couple of our new officers on previously on uh, the podcast here, but we're just again trying to do a little overview and cover yeah, yeah cover a variety of topics uh, of what's happened in the past year. So in June we held our biennial convention, and uh, we said uh, farewell to a couple officers who became emeritus, and obviously brought in a couple new members uh, to serve in those roles with the organization. You want to give a little spin on that? Sure, right. Yeah, so uh, just, uh, again, we're kind of doing a 2022 uh, year in review. Tom wrote our longtime secretary-treasurer. I believe he did 16 years uh, from Local 37 in Springfield. Was kind of a mainstay for, obviously, you know, a decade and a half uh, down in Springfield. He left us, um, and I think he's enjoying retirement. He has a full beard. He might have a mullet now, I believe. Um, but he is, uh, I think he's doing a lot of golfing and he, he was, uh, granted emeritus status as was Richard Martin, who did 17 years as our Southern district legislative rep. And, uh, many of you know, he, uh, passed away unexpectedly, um, a couple of months ago. And then just, uh, last Saturday, I, <laughs> for those that weren't there, um, I, Luke, I know you and I were there. There must have been 250 cars in the parking lot when we uh, pulled up. So Richard was a uh, a fan favorite in Murfreesboro, to, to say the least. You know, his name was up on the marquee. Uh, a number of people uh, attended the Elks Lodge, and um, a number of AFI members attended as well. So it was a good send-off. I know Richard... That was a celebration of life, and he would have been you know, right there in the right there in the thick. Yeah, of he, yeah, he would have enjoyed that. That was probably perfect for him. And Absolutely, it was. Yeah, it was definitely great to see the. Well, I, I want to mention we went to that uh, bar first to do a little pregame, right? Right before the celebration of life, because uh, that's appropriate thing to do. And there was nobody there. No. And the bartender said, it's because everybody's at Richard's celebration right. of life. We're, I, it was unbelievable. Yeah. But and she said, as soon as you guys leave, I'm going. So we were kind of in a hurry. Yeah. For her. yeah. She was closing the bar right. after because, yeah, so basically Richard shut down Murfreesboro. <laughs> Fact. And, yeah. uh, and, that, and just, again, it speaks volume to his character and how well he knew people and, and, and what he did for his community and, and what he did for firefighters across the state. I mean, he spent mm-hmm. a long time sure. as a legislative rep as well. And. 
and put in the time and right. Uh, and Steve Perry, our district vice president in District Three, is also a district honor guard commander, and they did a uh, retiree bell service for him. So I thought that was very, uh, very touching. I know that the family was really, really uh, appreciative. And then, so obviously, Brant Main uh, and and Kurt Snow replaced those two. Brant replacing Richard and Kurt replacing uh, T.R. And as you said, they were on our last episode. Was that our last episode? Yeah, it was two a couple months ago. ago. So yeah. I've totally lost track of episode numbers too. Oh so yeah, we didn't say for, that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm giving up on that. So <laughs> th- from now on, to our listeners, just just listen in. I don't think you care what number episode. It's an it episode. Is. It's a new episode. We got new topics, right. new information for you. So yeah, chime right in. And Kurt has really, um, you know, embraced the position. It's a uh, it's a huge undertaking, and it's a lot of responsibility. Obviously, I mean, there's 200 plus locals, um, about a 2.2 million dollar budget, and Kurt has really uh, gone in, you know, head first and, and working well with the office. And you and I and Kurt and the finance committee met last week, two weeks ago, to uh, discuss the budget that's going to be before the board in January. And then Brant, obviously, um, it's just it's a it's an odd position of the, that of the legislative rep, but he is uh, quickly picking up on on things, and we'll be hit, hitting the ground running on on January 11th for sure. Yeah, so we got a uh, you know the board working together, the the newer members on the board, and we got a executive board meeting coming up right after the first year to kind of set the tone for 2023, but. You know, everybody's kind of getting together and making things happen. And, you know, aside from our board, and, and we mentioned Tim Hunter earlier, but we have all our directors, and we, we've mentioned them here or there on some of the podcasts, but we thought we'd just kind of cover a little bit what they're doing, what they're up to. Namely, uh, we could probably start with Drew Hansen. Um, he's got one of the stellar topics to, to work with. So Drew Hansen's from our Arlington Heights Local 3105 he is our director of health, safety, and education. And uh, in that realm, you know, originally he was helping assist us with COVID issues. And uh, he assists me with uh, education and putting conferences together. And, uh, you know, another thing he was working on was uh, electrical shutoffs in the home. Uh, you know, just he gets different little topics that relate to health and safety and education within our organization. And he does a great job. But one of the topics and I don't know if we really had a chance to talk about it on the podcast a lot. We've talked about it a lot at the district meetings, SESA, and it's a mental health bill for responders, and it creates a bunch of different steps in how we respond and how we respond with law enforcement to our, our mental health calls throughout the state. And he's been tasked with being a part of the statewide committee, making sure it follows through and uh, protects our members, and we have a say uh, an input on how this rolls out over the next year. So if you want to expand a little bit on what that is, that bill is and, and what Drew's doing there, I think that would be great for our members to hear. Sure. So this is totally separate from the Safety Act. It's called the CESA, C-E-S-S-A, the Community Emergency Support Services Act that was created uh, to deal with mental health or behavioral health emergencies. I think we could all agree that um, firefighter, paramedics, and police officers are probably not best suited. Now, keep in mind, uh, we can all you know acknowledge that we are certified in a number of different things, whether it's hazmat or confined space rescue or rope rescue or 
you know, uh, auto extrication, EMS, uh, you name it, we do it. Um, being a social worker and a psychiatrist or clinician probably doesn't, um, doesn't fit in. We certainly try to do our best, but the, the whole genesis behind the bill was we need professionals responding to these mental health emergencies um, where they aren't, you know, causing harm to anybody else. They're not doing anything criminal. So this bill passed, and in a nutshell, it created a statewide advisory committee initially. And there's 12 seats on that, you know, ranging from mental health clinicians, uh, 911 operators. And we were fortunate enough, again, because we are involved in the uh, legislative and political world, the AFI was able to get a seat on the uh, on that 12-person board, and Drew Hansen has uh, filled that role, and he may, um, he may. He's probably on a meeting right now. He probably is. He's, He's been on meetings yeah. about every day. It's, I feel for him. It's unbelievable. But the, the idea behind the statewide task force was, or the statewide advisory committee, was kind of set some guidelines, and within the bill, there also was created 11, based on the 11 EMS regions, regional advisory committees, where they're going to determine really the nuts and bolts of what this is going to look like. Early on, the CESA created the 988 number, um, which is a suicide hotline. I believe there's seven different um, points within the state of Illinois. So if you're um, suicidal, there, there's a totally separate number from 911. You can call 988. And then... Again, the statewide's developing guidelines, and we have submitted a number of AFI members' names to be on their regional, the 11 regionals, and that's still in the works. I'm not sure, quite sure where that's at, but hopefully, you know, in January we can bring Drew in and he can describe where we're at on CESA. But what that regional uh, committee is going to develop is if someone calls 911, and a lot of a lot of the, um, how, what, what word am I looking for? A lot of the, the, the trigger is going to start with the 911 operator. They're going to determine, you know, is this person doing something criminal? Is this person, um, are they trying to cause harm to other people? Are they just by themselves, et cetera, et cetera? In a perfect world, based on what their regional advisory committee guidelines state, there's going to be a mental health clinician, maybe a nurse that responds to this individual as opposed to police and fire. That's that's what we're that's what the bill wanted to do. Kind of eliminate the need for police and fire to respond to somebody who's having a mental health crisis and somebody that's much more, you know, has the um, experience and, and license to deal with that type of emergency is better suited to, to respond to that. Now, what that looks like in Region 11 as opposed to Region 2, it might be a little bit different, just like, you know, all of our EMS regional protocols. Are yeah, and it's going to depend different. on resources in the areas. And Absolutely. I think what's important about this, too, and again, it's not an effect yet. I think that's nope. an important piece because our brothers and sisters in blue in the law enforcement community have kind of got this idea that this, in some places that this is already in effect and they're hands off on these calls. Well, that's not the case. This is not in place until all these protocols are in place in every region. And again, depending on the region, it's going to depend on the responses. But just, you know, 
being a paramedic and, and, and transporting mental health patients over my career, most of the time we're taking them to the ER and they aren't getting that treatment or guidance they need. They're going to push them right back out on the street. So hopefully this does help curb some of that and, and create some much needed improvement of service to our citizens in the state longer term. Right. And, you know, we've had side conversations. I don't want to get, you know, too down into the weeds, but from an AFI standpoint, it's no different than, you know, if you if the officer of that engine company or that paramedic unit feels like something's not right or you're unsafe when you're in the house, you're going to do exactly what you do today. You're going to back out. You're going to call for law enforcement and uh, and go from there. So, it, it, like, step one, is the scene safe? Yes or no? If no, don't go in. Um, if it becomes unsafe, leave. That That's the bottom line. Yeah, and we've already made that very clear to this committee, and, and it, that's well known uh, what our stance is on that because our, our member safety is paramount. Right. right? And our, the fire chiefs are on board with that as well. So, Cool. So we'll have Drew on, hopefully. We tried to get him in here today, but um, he's on a lot of these meetings, as like we stated. So hopefully in early in the year, once this committee on CESA is moving forward and they have some kind of direction, we're hoping we can bring Drew in to give a more formal update for all our members on uh, through the podcast and then eventually at district meetings and stuff to push out to our local leadership. Um, we, we just mentioned, too, with the new positions with Kurt Snow moving up, we also had uh, replaced Kurt was formerly our director of communications, so we were able to make a hire, uh, Matt Hill, from Normal Local 2442. Uh, he's stepped in that role, doing a great job so far. Uh, he's kind of taking over our communications. Kurt's kind of teaching him a little bit, uh, making sure he understands the uh, game here, what the AFFI's been doing, and making sure our members are engaged through social media, our emails, whatever our communication avenues are. So uh, welcome to Matt Hill. Uh, give him a little shout out for uh, joining us, and, uh, and we're happy to have him on board. And then our other directors, uh, Matt Campbell leads our data department. Um, he's our executive director of information technology, or better known as Edit. Uh, he's got Tony Peloso, Dan Clunworth, and Mark Kolar all working with him, and that's probably one of our biggest part of our organizations that our our local union leadership engage with it's probably the most important information to get in the data analysis for contracts or contract language or comparables and such so those guys have been uh they work in the background right and uh, they provide the information to our district vice presidents and help our locals be successful um and even if there's a weird topic that comes up that somebody wants research they're they're all over it um we had a recent meeting we were talking about marijuana marijuana language and you know, they're trying to figure out how to track that and provide that for a membership. So those guys on a daily basis are turning out contract data and information, language, whatever it may be. And uh, they're just turning away and done a great job over the past year. And I don't see anything different in 2023. Yeah, again, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but that I bet we have the best data department um, next to the international statewide yeah, or um, nationwide. I'd put ours up against theirs. Especially California. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, I know we talked about Tom wrote and Richard Martin leaving. Um, Sean Gillis left us. He spent, um, I think he was hired in 2006. About, about the same time as wrote. Yeah. Um, that was a uh, 
a big loss to us. He's a fan of the podcast too. So is he? Oh yeah, we're gonna make his day talking about him. I just <laughs> talked to him the other day. Shawnee boy, he's doing well. He's doing well. Yeah. Enjoying retirement. Good. Yeah, he retired from Midlow, and then uh, left us, and he's working in the uh, in the private sector. But uh, he left uh, some some big shoes to fill. I know him and Matt Campbell talk on a on a fairly regular basis, and thank God we still have Sean as a as a uh, uh, somebody to bounce things off of. So he's he's missed. But he knows I where know the bodies not, are buried. Too. He's <laughs> not very far away for sure. Hi, Sean. I know you're going to listen to this. So you were he was he was busting my chops the other day. That is he in Florida right now? Or is he? No, he's here. But he was uh, he was disappointed we haven't had an episode out in a while. Ah. So. Here you go, Sean. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just uh, working through a couple other things that we've been going on uh, in, the, in the last year in 2022, recruitment. We did a whole episode on recruitment, uh, retaining hires. Uh, so this is something that was able to be done in veto session uh, to try to move the ball down the field and, and, and work on this issue. And we hear about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously you hear it on a more daily basis than I do, but... It's a conversation every firehouse around the state and, in fact, around the country. We're no different than any other state. This is, uh, you know, a global issue, and it's and it transcends more than fire service, too. There's uh, most industries are having trouble recruiting and retaining people, and mm-hmm. we uh, we want to address this problem, so we took some steps with the task force bill, right. correct? Yep. yep. We're, uh, we're creating a task force within the General Assembly, just so there's accountability. It's just, it's not, you know, 13 different fire service organizations and 1,200 different municipalities and fire districts going their own way. We want some accountability, so that's why we uh, created a task force within the General Assembly, so there are, there's going to be a Senate Republican, hopefully Neil Anderson, who's a Moline firefighter and a state senator. Uh, Patrick Joyce, who I literally just got off the phone with, is a Senate Democrat. Um, Mike Kelly, who is a House Democrat and also a Chicago firefighter, and then uh, Jackie Haas, who is a House Republican. We're, uh, we want them to you know, kind of mediate, if you will, or head the task force that's going to have the AFFI, the fire chiefs, the fire marshal, um, the fire protection districts, the Illinois Municipal League, community colleges, IDPH, uh, a whole host of stakeholders that um, we feel, you know, have a, a some skin in the game, if you will, and try to talk with those stakeholders and develop four or five pieces of legislation that we can pass through the General Assembly and have the governor sign to make it, um, you know, quite frankly, easier. We're not trying to diminish our job or the um, requirements to get hired because we obviously all want the best and brightest, but maybe a little easier avenue, for example, um, apprenticeship programs. We currently have those at the local level that are in state statute that can be created. Maybe we can uh, expand that to a regional apprenticeship program or a statewide uh, apprenticeship program. We're going to revisit the statewide hiring list, uh, get community colleges involved. We're going to talk about the paramedic license and the um, the national test. Uh, I don't know how far that's going to go, but um, that's you know a detriment. I know some local governments want to lower the age from 21 to 18. Um, we can talk about that. Obviously, if you do 30 years and you start at 18, that puts you at 48. And we would like 
or our position would be you begin to collect your pension then. Um, so a whole host of, of you know, various issues. The one problem that we are, keep in mind, we're the AFFI and representing, you know, 225 plus locals. We have some locals that um, their fire departments are, um, are they, have, they have more revenue than others. Let's just put it that way. And not that they're not hurting, but they might, and I'm just going to throw out, you know, fire department A um, creates an incentive for uh, firefighter paramedics. They're already licensed firefighter paramedics. They're going to provide a $15,000 signing bonus if you get hired in fire department A. Well, they come from fire department B. And then now fire department B has two or three holes. So it's just a vicious circle that um, and we have members in fire department B as well. So we're trying to kind of level the playing field. But if we can come up, you know, with, with something that makes it right for everybody through this task force, we're hoping uh, that, that that's the goal anyway. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in talking this as much as we have over the past really couple years and and you've mentioned it before. Margaret Angelucci, our attorney, kind of recognized a trend several years ago before it became a conversation that this is going a different way where we're not seeing as many uh, recruits or candidates for, for our job across the state. And it kind of struck me, I, I think I've mentioned this before, you and I were up in Minnesota for a, a state provincial meeting. That's where all the state officers across the IFF get together and talk about issues within their specific states. And this was like fall of 2019. Well, there were several presidents from the other states got up there and said, hey, we're having trouble recruiting and hiring and all that. And we kind of looked at each other. I'm like, well, I don't really think that's an issue with us. You don't think much about of it. But now it's now it's becoming more prevalent and it's and it's a bigger issue. But And I think the hard part of where the task force is necessary, this is not a there's not like a silver bullet for this. There's multiple issues that are feeding the recruitment issue, right? There's, you know, one of the things I've talked about before, the volunteer fire service is dying. They used to feed, feed us, uh, the paramedic requirements. Um, those have changed over the years, you know, back in the days when we were testing, you could pretty much test at most places with a high school diploma and nothing. So there'd be thousands of people turning up for these tests. And, you know, over time, right or wrong, uh, employers have, put different requirements on the testing and it's lowered the numbers, but it definitely in the last 10 years really, and, and then in the last two really slid off. And those are issues there that feed it. Um, the unemployment's really low too. We don't talk about that. You know, I, there's a lot of different jobs out there. The private sector is offering more money and a lot of careers. So, you know, people might not be looking at us and I don't think the fire service have been used to getting out there and recruiting either. People have always come to us, and I think that dynamics uh, changed a little bit, and we got to be a little more active with that. And I'd really like to mention, too, you know, before this task force, we created our Human Relations Committee. Uh, Bo Cheney, he was on an episode with us. Uh, if you're listening now and you haven't listened to that episode, it's a really good episode. He's the chairman of that committee. He's also a full-time recruiter for Rockford Fire. He's got all kinds of ideas, and they're, you know, they're working on a toolkit. We kind of talked about it in that episode we're working through the AFFI webpage to let everybody know who's testing, how to become a firefighter, what needs to happen. So, uh, again, our organization trying to be at the forefront of the issues that affect our members, we're on top of it. And uh, I don't think you see any other statewide fire service organization leading the way like the AFFI. Correct. And 
It's it's a it's a weird situation to be in because obviously, as I've said at district meetings, like we're not responsible. It's, the local government's responsible for hiring, and we they you know by virtue of who they hire become our members, as opposed to you know in the electricians or the one hundred and fifty, they have an apprenticeship program. Um, so we're uh, our our eyes are you know wide open. Our we're open to, to anything and everything. So hopefully, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, we see some, some, some bumps in, in, in numbers and make it a little bit, uh, make the job more palatable. And, you know, we have to understand, you know, that the 21 to 30 year old today, I think they value their time off more than um, money, which I, you know, if you asked a, a retired 55 year old, they didn't have the opportunity. They might have one 24-hour overtime, you know, a year. And if they, if they were told today that, hey, you can work essentially, you know, 20 days a month, um, they would follow themselves fighting to, to get that overtime slot. And that's just, a, you know, a generational thing. So um, it is what it is. We're, we're trying to, to – to, to work through all of these issues and just I want everybody to know that the AFFI is involved um, and we're kind of steering this uh, this ship right now. I wouldn't expect anything less, right? Right. right. Um, another thing that we're kind of tied into, uh, just a, a bigger topic for our organization, we've, we've given updates here and there, but our AFF, uh there's yeah. been a little bit of change there in the, in the board recently and stuff like that. So. Uh, you sit on there as a chairman currently, right? And I think it uh, would be a good thing to chat about that. Yeah, you know, we just talked about you know the the thirty thousand foot view. We have you know fire departments that are offering incentives and then taking firefighters from or our members from other departments, leaving gaps there. Um, if you recall, you know over the last decade we've had um, fire departments, fire pension funds with our members. Uh, their fund was, you know, 85% funded, and we had members and pension funds that were 12% funded. And the you know, the ones that were 85% funded were telling the AFFI, please don't touch my money. Um, it was a lot more vulgar than that. And then we had uh, members, you know, with 15% funded pension funds that say, AFFI, please do something. So we came up with something that I believe, uh, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding, obviously, but... Um, all of our investments are pooled together. The state has no access to our dollars. We actually put that in black and white, even though it's in Article One. Um, the state has no access to one penny of IFPIF money. Um, there's 296 different Article Four funds, and all but four have transferred in. We're hovering, you know, depending on the day, about seven billion with a B dollars. Um, George Schick. Uh, was an active participant. He recently retired, so could no longer serve as an active participant. Jason Skladonik, I don't know if I pronounced your name right, Jason, from Wheaton, um, is going to be replacing him uh, in January. So we have, uh, as active participants, have Kevin Bramwell from Bolingbrook, Matt Kink from Springfield, and then we'll have Jason from Wheaton. Greg Knoll is our retiree from, from Homewood, and then myself as an AFI um, officio appointment and then the local governments have four Brad Cole and then uh, a Naperville city manager is going to be replacing John Perry 
who was from Lyle Woodridge, and we also have Herb Roach from O'Fallon, and Mayor Daly from Schaumburg. So things are going smoothly. Our executive director, Bill Atwood, and their staff of you know, five, including Bill, have really you know done a, a fantastic job. I can't say enough good things about them. Um, you know, things are, are moving along well. We're saving, on average, about $34 million a year. If you extrapolate that out, you know, with uh, returns, it's about $475 million 10 years. And then uh, over a 30-year period, we're looking at about, you know, savings of uh, $1 billion. So we think we're headed in the right direction. Um, again, things are running as smooth as we could possibly imagine. We have a board meeting uh, coming up on Friday, December the 16th. And um, the litigation is still ongoing. There are, you know, a handful of pension funds or individuals from pension funds that are suing um, IFPIF, the police, the governor, et cetera, uh, saying that was unconstitutional. That is going to be heard in the appellate court probably at the beginning of the year. And then, however, that's uh, whatever ruling comes out of that. Either way, it's going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. So we're still uh, still in the process of the litigation there. All right, thanks for that little update. Uh, we're doing doing real well here. Again, just trying to close out a lot of things that have been active in 2022. And, and a lot of this stuff still goes right into 2023. It doesn't right, change, right? right? Um, ongoing, the, the list keeps going and, and building for us. Um, I think uh, another thing we were talking earlier about the battalion chiefs and adding members. We're still growing. You mentioned we're at 225 plus locals. Uh, we just welcomed Bristol Kendall Fire District. Uh, they unionized there and Lake Villa Fire District as well. Our two, two brand new uh, locals within the AFFI and the IFF. And hopefully next year we have a couple more coming on board. Mm -hmm. uh, we, won't, we won't say them yet, but we know they're out there. Right. Um, if you're not an AFFI member and you're listening to the podcast and you want to get engaged with us, get a hold of us. We'd love to have you be a part of our organization. Uh, Melboy Park. <laughs> there's we could name off a few Melrose Park. Like there's yeah. there's several that are out there. But um, I know Matt's working hard with Bristol Kendall, Matt Olson, and uh, Art Thompson with uh, with Lake Villa. So glad to have them. Uh, I know Bristol Kendall was at the district meeting. And Lake Villa just literally happened, you know, in the last uh, week and a half, two weeks. So welcome to them and uh, hope to see you soon. Another thing we've been working on for quite a while, this is one that uh, I can't get off my list, but I'm getting close, is uh, a few years ago we passed House Bill 2215 to encourage firefighter labor history education within the fire academies. And why that's important to us, uh, we were able to pass that bill and, and start working on the curriculum for it and pass that out to the, to the various academies. And we're still working on an online portion, but in, in our minds, it's important to have new members understand what they're a part of, what's been done before them. And generally, that's a fire service, right? History, tradition, sacrifice. And on the union side, it goes kind of hand in hand with the job. And we wanted to make sure our new members coming in the job had a has a basic education on what happened before they joined the job. So uh, we were able to pass that bill. And uh, just recently, we met with three of the larger 
uh, academies in the state, IFSI, NIPSTA, and Romeoville Fire Academy. And we provided them the template and instructor guide and all the materials needed to deliver that program within their academies. We're going to work right after the beginning of the year. Several of our larger departments in the state host their own academies, and we're going to try to meet up with them and, and provide that education to the instructors there. And then finally, we are working with the University of Illinois Labor Employment School, and one of the professors there, uh, she's uh, cooperating with us to create the online version that will be hosted on the OF, OF, sorry, I can't even say that, OFSM website. So uh, having some success there, trying to get that stuff completed. But in our mind, what we're looking for for our members uh, listening and, and, and your new members, it's important to have that education so they understand uh, what's going on with their union, why they should be involved. So the, the plan is, and, and our outlook on this is that they get educated in the fire academy, and then they get educated when they start with their local. Their own local will provide some education to them about their own history and, and being a part of it and engaging them in their own local. And then hopefully they can send them to our new member conference that we're hosting on an annual basis. And they'll get a couple days worth of more in-depth ed- education about the job, uh, their union, their benefits, and all that. And so far we've had a lot of success with that. And we've had a lot of locals reaching out to improve their labor history education on the, their own local level. And uh, I think this is uh, working to be a great product and I appreciate everyone that supported it and make that happen. So that's another thing that uh, we kind of are trying to close out in 2022 and in early 2023. And uh, I think we can kind of get into... Just before you get off labor history, do you want to talk about um, the internship? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's pretty good because it ties right into that. So um, we we work with the Illinois State University to get an intern to work with us at our AFFI office down in Springfield. We have tons of historical documents. Um, li- literally, it covers a whole wall. And it's the boxes stack probably, is, I mean, I'm not tall, but uh, five, six feet up. And uh, it covers a whole wall at the FFI office. So what we're trying to do is inventory all those documents, preserve them for the future. Uh, Again, and that way it can get into the education that needs to be out there or if they need to research previous topics that have happened over our history uh, within the FFI and IFF, we want that to be able to be accessible and preserved uh, long term. So, yeah, we've been very fortunate. Uh, ISU has provided some interns uh, through their uh, history and archival departments. And uh, we should have a new one starting with the semester in January. Um, and that helped the other day. We were doing uh, some research down there for the labor history video. And uh, the professor, uh, Stephanie Sewell is her name. She came uh, over from U of I. And we were going through the boxes. And I'm pretty in tune with our history, but you always find some interesting nuggets in there. It, uh, there's a lot of cool... Uh, documents down there or artifacts uh, related to our histories with through all our locals. So that's also another great thing that we've been able to launch over the past year. That's awesome. It's amazing the amount of documents. I, I, Luke's not kidding. I mean, it's six feet tall and spans an entire wall down, down there in the director's room. So um, again, that, that was Luke's vision from a, a while ago, the whole labor history, teaching an academy, I don't know of any other state in the nation that uh, that's a requirement that you receive that prior to uh, graduating from your academy. So um, 
I know the IFF is probably going to be looking to us to, to expand that to other states. So strong work, Lukey. Uh, mentioned the IFF, you want to kind of chat about what they're going on with the PFAS. That's a hot oh, topic yeah. that's around everywhere. Um, yeah. We've heard President Kelly talk about it at a couple recent mm-hmm. uh, conferences and meetings we've been at across the IFF, and they're they're looking to take that head on. Yeah, and, and uh, several states, including Illinois, we've already um, you know dealt with the foam. So our, any foam with PFAS can only be used on emergencies now. Um, and they're trying to make that actually that may have just passed at the federal level. Um, all PIFA foam is essentially going to be out because there's a replacement foam that can now be used. I don't know if it's as good, but um, nonetheless, uh, it's going to uh, reduce our exposure to uh, to uh, cancer causing chemicals. And then along that same line, as I'm sure all of us in the firefighting business know that now that PIFAs are uh, or in our bunker gear. And um, I think most fire departments are already taking all the necessary precautions. You know, I, when you and I started, it was cool to have a sooty helmet and, you know, wear the, uh, your bunker coat smelled like smoke for a couple of days. Call it salty. Salty, yes, yes, veteran. Um, so obviously no bunker gear in your uh, sleeping quarters, et cetera, et cetera. So take every precaution necessary. There isn't a, a replacement bunker gear set now. There are some companies that are, you know, they call it zero, PFAS zero, PFAS zero which isn't the case. There, there's still PFAS in that. Um, but long story short, the International Association of Firefighters, uh, through our general president, Ed Kelly, he is going to be, ta- he, we, are going to be taking on some heavy hitters. And by heavy hitters, I mean the chemical industry and um, he's hell-bent on, uh, to his credit, uh, we are not jacking around. And I know I appreciate that. I, I know our 15,000 members in, in, in Illinois uh, should appreciate it as well. Just when you hear things, um, just know that the IFF is on the forefront. And, you know, they hired a medical director. Um, they have a new science, Neil McMillan from Canada is just i mean he is he is a fantastic resource and has you know spent the last decade researching uh, a number of different pfas type issues and he's full-time now at the iff so the international is doing everything in their power to uh rid our bunker gear of pfas and hopefully you know sooner rather than later there's a replacement uh type of gear out there yeah and when now they say like 70% of line of duty deaths are related to cancer. Sure. And that's just one thing to, to go after. So kind of breaking off of that uh, topic, we can kind of maybe hit it a little into 2023 now because we're looking at our first health and safety conference that we've had since I believe the last one. Uh, President Emeritus Rick Merrill reminded me the last one they held was in 1999. Jeez. Um, so... I'm pretty proud that our team's starting to work to put that together. I'm excited about that event. And we're going to be hosting that event in late February, uh, February 27th and 28th in Bloomington Normal at the Marriott Hotel and Conference Center. Uh, We're going to touch a lot of bases in that conference, mental health, nutrition, fitness, uh, fire dynamics. We're going to go over the e-battery fires and lithium-ion fires, things of that nature, Uh, the turnout gear, um, sleep deprivation, I mean, you name it, over two days, I have about 12, 13 different topics we're going to cover. 
uh, bringing a lot of great speakers and hopefully leave our members with some great information. So if you're listening and you're interested in that conference, kind of watch out. We should be putting out the registrations for that right by the new year. I didn't want to put it out before Christmas because I think people would forget about it. So um, we're propping that conference, working hard to put it together. There's also going to be an additional third day for that that's optional. Um, so if you don't attend the conference and you're interested in this uh, seminar, there's going to be a basement fire seminar uh, put on by the International Instructor Society based off the UL research on basement fires. Uh, again, we're just trying to provide a lot of information to protect our members and uh, make these different options available for their education. So That's a classroom. not and It's all right, classroom, right, correct. So, um, But it's really going to cover that research that United Labs have been doing and make sure our members can uh, hear it firsthand and, and engage in that conference. So, so yeah, that's technically a three-day conference if you want it to be. And just, again, watch for that information coming out soon. Kind of Where's that going to be? There's going to be in Bloomington Normal, February 27th and 28th, and then uh, optional third day, March 1st, at the Marriott Hotel and Conference Center. So stay tuned for that. You want to hit into the other events since we're on this uh, page here? Sure, go right ahead. Um, our annual legislative conference scheduled for March 14th to 16th in Springfield. Uh, we were a little worried they might not be in session, but we've confirmed that. So uh, that's always a great conference. We usually have anywhere from three to 400 members attend. And again, being a part of that process as we kick this show off, engagement with your legislators, and, and that's a personal relationship you can build and meeting with them down there and talking about the topics that are important to firefighters is always a good thing to be engaged in, and, and it's a good thing for your members to be involved with. So March 14th to 16th in Springfield, uh, registration for that will come out probably beginning of February, if not earlier. Um, mentioned earlier our new member conference. Again, that's become a hit. We've uh, run that two years in a row now. In both years, running 200 people, 150 people this past year, uh, attending that conference, and we've gotten rave reviews on it. That's scheduled for September 25th and 26th, also in Springfield. Uh, we're working on our new officer training. We do that on an annual basis that was provided by resolution at our convention in 2018 in St. Charles. Uh, we continue to handle that on an annual basis. So any new elected officers to your union will get invites for that. We're hoping to launch that this spring in April. I haven't nailed down the date yet. We'll figure that out at our board meeting here in January, but stay tuned for that. And then in the fall, we're looking at our uh, AFFI legal seminar. Uh, we'll get the various attorneys that work with our locals together to run through multiple hot legal topics uh, across the state. So that'll be held five different times across the fall, starting in September. And uh, we won't get those dates out there this early. Um, you can look forward to those in the fall. But uh, again, we're going to move that around in each of our AFFI districts in each of the five districts and have that happen in the fall. So we get a pretty robust uh, schedule just on the AFFI side. Um, on the IFF side, there's several events our, our members and local leadership can engage in. The IFF Alts Affiliate Leadership Training Summit, that's January 28th to February 1st in Las Vegas. Um, that's coming up soon. Registration is already out for that. The IFF Legislative Conference is March 6th through 10th in Washington, D.C. And then after a couple-year break uh, due to COVID, 
the Redmond Symposium is the IFF's Health and Safety Conference. That'll be August 21st through the 24th in New York City. So the IFF has multiple opportunities for members to get engaged in and, and education-wise and stuff that they can bring back to their locals to make them more successful and along with our stuff. So we had a pretty good year for 2023 uh, on deck. Um and you never know, we might slide some other stuffs in there. Um, obviously, we're going to continue to do the podcast. Uh, again, we got a little off track over the last few months uh, just because how busy we were. But um, I guarantee you, early in the year, we'll be back with a couple more episodes. But before we close out this uh, uh, podcast we're doing today, I want to hit on MDA. We had them uh, over the summer in for an episode, and that's been our partner since 1958, I believe, uh, raising funds to help kids with muscular dystrophy. So we're going to close out 2022 with what? About $610,000, I believe. That's, that's, a, that's the prognosis from Heather. Yeah, so we're, we turned around a little bit. We, we dropped off to like a low of 119000 obviously, during mm-hmm. COVID. Um, we've been kind of building back. We obviously want to build back to that million dollars. And uh, what we, would we end up shooting our goal for this year? Yeah, uh, we set a goal for 2023 of $750,000. Um, we think that's obtainable. You know, for a number of years, we set a million because in 2017, 2018, I think we got over 900000 um, And obviously COVID whacked out a little bit. And uh, we got uh, last year was 500000 uh, So we think we're going to close out this year with 610000 um, we have, I believe, California. We're ahead of yeah, that's right. California. And Say we, that one more time. California. We're ahead of California, California. Um, in 2022. Texas leads with over a million. Now, granted, their population is yeah. We, we kind of hit on that, right? They have multiple large cities that right. it actually really drive their fundraising because they only had like 16 percent of their locals participating, right? Right. So that's where there's coming. But we can beat them. Yeah. And, again, if you guys, if, if our locals out there, uh, assign somebody to be your MDA coordinator, it, uh, it really does go a long way. And you know, we have a fantastic relationship with, uh, with MDA. And as Luke mentioned, you know, that's been our longtime partner. And we, our AFFI event, we already have it scheduled and locked in. It is a White Sox versus Cubs game at White Sox Park on July 26th of 2023. That's a Wednesday, um, but we don't think that'll be a problem. Um, the White Sox, Shetsky and Maher might be suiting up for the White Sox at this point. But um, The Cubs uh, are making some pretty good yeah, off-season yeah, yeah, yeah. moves. I'm yeah. proud of that. Right. I'm so, wearing my Cubs hat today. He, in here, he so. does have it on. So... Uh, pencil that in or pin that in July 26th. Again, there'll be a ton more information coming out as we get closer, but that is a, a blast. Again, Berwyn Local 506 cooks for us. Uh, you get tickets, food. We have some raffle prizes. It's a, it's a fantastic time, and all of that money goes to, uh, to MDA. So um, can't say enough good things about our partnership there. You know, and, and Timmy, you know, just kind of glossed over the number of events that we're offering in 2023. And um, I, I hope our membership realizes, you know, that our state association, we're firing on all cylinders. We're trying to provide as much education, as much information uh, as you can possibly want. And just, you know, 
to reciprocate once in a while if you guys can fill out a survey. You know, a lot of your local presidents or secretary treasurers will get a survey from our data department. If you can respond to that, it helps us, you know, build our data uh, and make it, you know, much more uh, informational. If you can respond by putting out yard signs for your council member, or if you just attend a union meeting and get involved, uh, you're, you're doing a lot of good, not only for yourself, but for your, for your union. So stay engaged, get engaged. Yeah, and we have plenty of ways to get engaged uh, from the local level to the state level all the way through the international. And we can't encourage you enough. We provide a lot of opportunities for you to be engaged. And I think everybody pitches in a little bit. It makes a big difference. So, um, yeah, you got anything else? I think we've covered a lot of good topics, gave a good review of 2022. You think Jerry's out of the dentist chair? No, not if Loretto's the dentist. <laughs> Still in it. <laughs> Good thing he wasn't here too. We'd have to hear about the White Sox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chuck's yeah. a Cubs fan too, yes. just so it's out there. Um, no, I think uh, this is a great episode. Gave a lot of information on everything that's been going on, and there's a review and a preview. Yep. Right. 2023. Hopefully, just as great, and uh, we'll we'll build upon this episode when we get back here in January. And as always, too, if you have ideas for episodes or things you want to know about, please please reach out. Uh, we're happy to add things that you want to hear or kind of learn about or different speakers if we can, if we were able to obtain them and engage them on the show. But uh, yeah, we should be back in January with Jerry. And thanks for listening. Yes. Hopefully, have a happy good- holidays, happy new year. Yep. Take care of each other. All right. Take care. All right. See you. Bye.